me pray, and we'll get to the, the word. Father, uh, we love you. Uh, we, oh man, we, we look forward to that feast one day, Father. Um, everything is pointing to that day. And uh, it's hard here. Um, it's a struggle. There's suffering. Even in this room now, Father, I know uh, that people are just hanging on. Uh, maybe a, a chronic illness that continues um, uh, to prolong their suffering. Uh, maybe it's bad news. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's loneliness. Father, and we need our eyes uh, to be turned again to the feast that's coming. Um, that there might be pain in the, in the night, but morning's coming. And so help us endure the night. Uh, God, give us fresh eyes to see the morning, that it is coming, that you promised it, that the work of Christ on the cross was proof of that. Uh, we're weak and we're sinful and we easily forget it. We get distracted by work, by school, um, by news, by, by media, social media, Father. It's, it's hard. And so we're grateful this, for this time that we get together as a large group and we get to worship you and we get to talk to father, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and worship with the saints and again be reminded uh, of what you did and what you're going to do. Father, would you do that in this room? Would you do it across this city this morning and all of our sister churches here in Spartanburg? Would Christ be high and lifted up? Would people be drawn to him because of the word that is preached clearly that the gospel goes forth today? And not just here in Spartanburg, but around the world, Father, to those unreached people groups that we know are out there that you love just as much as us, Father. Would you send people to them? Would you raise up laborers to go into the harvest, even from this body, Father, people that don't even uh, expect it, would you move in their hearts today to do that? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So have, have you ever wondered sort of what it would take for a church to last for generations? So, you know, I've had that thought, had that dream for Hope Point. What, what would it take for Hope Point to have hundreds of years of meaningful, faithful impact for the cause of Christ? What makes churches last? What makes churches endure with unity through heavy persecution or even through rapid growth? What is it that makes churches last? Is it a charismatic leader, a strong leader, a unifying leader? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, we've all seen these churches that has a leader like this, and as soon as the leader is gone, so is that church's impact. Is it a great vision that makes a church last? Maybe, if it's the right vision. But even with a great vision, still pride, a lack of compassion, a lack of sympathy can trample the very people that you're here to reach. Soon it becomes about the organization and less and less about the, the lost sheep that are out there or building up the body of Christ. Today, the Apostle Peter will tell us what makes a church last. You see, the Apostle Peter experienced both heavy persecution and rapid church growth. Peter knows by experience and by inspiration of the Holy Spirit what a church needs to faithfully endure through the good times and the bad times. 
Today I'm jumping back into our series in 1 Peter. This is our ninth message in 1 Peter. It's been almost two years that I've sort of been in and out of Peter, um, and, but it's interesting how God's timing works. Like I think this message is just right for us as Hope Point, given where we are, where God has us right now. I pray that God uses this church for generations. Like I, wanted, I want him to work in, in this church for the long haul in Spartanburg and around the world. So what does it take? What do we have to do, Hope Point, for God to use us that long? What are the essential ingredients that are necessary for Christian community uh, for it to carry us through these highs and lows that churches go through, all the while keeping us unified to that single goal of reaching people for Christ? What is this? What are the ingredients? I've titled my sermon this morning, Five Marks of a Healthy Christian Community, subtitle, How to Sustain Lasting Community, all coming from 1 Peter 3, 8, just one verse this morning. My goal is for us to think and apply these truths in the context of Hope Point. I really want us to think about how to apply these things at Hope Point. Now, I'm not talking about just how you do that sort of in this room. When we all gather under the same roof, how do these things work? I'm, I'm talking about how they work outside of this room as well, right? These truths are essential in all varieties of Christian community found under the Hope Point, Hope Point umbrella, right? So these qualities are essential for a properly functioning home. These qualities are essential for a properly functioning marriage, They're essential for a properly functioning small group. They're essential for a properly functioning ministry. And they're essential for a properly functioning friendship. When these five qualities, these marks are vibrant within Hope Point churches, homes, marriages, small groups, ministries, and friendships, then Hope Point Church is going to be a vibrant, properly functioning church. Whether we're facing plenty or lacking much. If these five marks are present in our community, we're going to last. So how does Hope Point maintain a lasting, faithful impact for Christ's answer? By regularly cultivating the marks described in 1 Peter 3.8. Let's read the verse. Peter says, finally, to sum this all up, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. You see the five. Unity of mind. Number two, sympathy. Brotherly love. A tender heart. And a humble mind. These are the essential qualities for a properly functioning, healthy church. Let's cultivate these. You can see an interesting pattern or structure appear when you start to sort of analyze the list. And this is what it looks like. So you see unity of mind and a humble mind are closely related, right? If humility is absent, so is unity, right? Sympathy, a tender heart, sort of compassion, they're almost sort of indistinguishable, right? And I'm going to show you the difference between them, but they're very, very close related. And then you have this one in the middle, brotherly love, sort of holding the whole thing together. Like if we have this brotherly love, then, then out of that is going to flow our desire to have sympathy for each other, to have compassion for each other, to, to act in humility, therefore giving us great unity, a high degree of unity. 
So I want to begin by just one quick, simple observation about the timing of this, of this list in the book of 1 Peter. This letter is to the churches in Asia Minor, right? And they're all, the letter is all about living as believers in a hostile world. Like, how do we live as aliens and strangers in this world as believers? How do we relate to the outside world that's not welcoming to us at all? That's sort of harsh to us. How do we relate to that? And then you have this verse right in the middle of the book where Peter addresses how we relate to each other. It's interesting because it implies that as persecution increases, as the church becomes under attack from the enemy, whether physically or spiritually, we are prone to infighting. That's sort of what's implied here by Peter putting this right in the middle of this letter. We are prone to be less patient, less understanding, less compassionate, less loving with each other. During highly stressful spiritual warfare, Peter is implying that we tend to lack in these five qualities as as a church and as communities. I can illustrate the concept, right, if we just point to our home lives. How many times have you let some stressor outside of your home affect how you treat the people inside your home? We've all been there, right? Have a bad day at work, have a bad day at school, and we're a little bit a little bit shorter fused at home, though we get angry at a little quicker than we normally do, right? And we lash out at the people that we love because we're dealing with a stressful situation in another area of our life. Same concept in the church. Outside opposition can lead to division from within. So as good soldiers of Jesus Christ, we need to be aware of this tendency. We need to have a heightened awareness of this, that as spiritual warfare begins to happen, then we tend to lack in these qualities. During stressful, high-pressure, spiritual warfare, we need to keep our guard up and not let these relationship killers into this church. It's a real danger. The fight for unity begins with a heightened awareness that Christian relationships are most vulnerable when engaged in spiritual warfare. And I would even take that a step further and say, when you start to push into new territories, it's even, it's, I think it's even worse, right? As the church goes on the offensive and begins to take on enemy ground, our relationships and unity is vulnerable. The devil doesn't like it. The enemy doesn't like it. You're sort of playing on his turf when you begin to push into the darkness. And if we're not careful, we can lose our desire to to cultivate these five important qualities that every church needs. So hope point, be aware of this for the sake of our continued co-laboring together in the gospel. I want to take a close look at each of these for us because I think it's going to help us greatly. So the first mark of a healthy Christian community is unity of mind. So in persecution, let's keep this on the front of our minds that, the, that the, one of the first things that we need to protect and we need to maintain is unity of mind. Some Bible translations run, render this word harmonious. I think it's a weak translation because you lose sort of the richness in the Greek word uh, that is here. The Greek word is homephron, which is made up of two Greek words, homos, which is same or one, and friend, which is mind or understanding. Literally, one in the same mind. All of us in this room, all those in Hope Point Kids and all those watching in the overflow room, we need to have one in the same mind. 
What is this one mind that we should have? Well, you get a taste of that from early on in Peter's letter. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action. I love this. How do you prepare for the battle? How do you prepare for action? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. We set our minds. This is the one-mindedness that Peter is pointing us to, this oneness of mind and the hope of Jesus Christ. Peter learned the hard way, right, of how important singleness of mind in Christ really is. When Peter tried to dissuade Jesus from going to the cross, from the road of suffering, remember Jesus' hard rebuke? Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter lost his ever-loving singleness of mind. Peter wanted to avoid suffering, and this was not of the same mind of God, the very thing that Jesus was there to do. The Apostle Paul talks about this mind. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We are united by the same love of Jesus Christ. We are singularly chasing after Christ's likeness. That's what we're here to do. That's the main thing. We are united around the single purpose of pointing people to Jesus Christ. Everything else is secondary to that. We unite around all the major doctrines of Christ's And nothing should threaten our unity outside of that. Let me clarify, because I think it's important to make this clarification. When I mention unity of mind, I want to mention what it is not, right? Unity of mind does not mean unanimity, meaning we're not always going to be unanimous in all of our decisions. We're not always going to agree. But unity of mind in Christ leaves room for disagreement. Furthermore, unity of mind does not mean uniformity. Unity of mind in Christ says there's freedom in differences. Different gifts, different abilities, different strengths, different weaknesses, different backgrounds, different experiences. In fact, differences bring beauty to the unity of mind found in Christ. So like-mindedness is foundational, is the foundational value of Christian community. It unifies us, everyone, from various backgrounds, from various experiences in Christ. The world does not know this type of unity. Like how do we all, all of our different backgrounds and experiences, how can we all unite? Well, we reunite around Christ. So how about this thought? Since this unity of mind is in Christ and his gospel, we should view it with seriousness because it's a blood-bought unity. Like Jesus died so that we would unite around him. And not be separated by all these foolish things that come up in a church. This is not unity around a common city or college or country or culture. This is unity born out of a bloody cross. Therefore, it's a serious matter to protect and maintain it. It's serious. I want to sort of close out every point today with a sort of application question. So you need a mind application thought. Assess whether your attitude or actions contribute to or detract from the unity of mind in your church, in this church, 
in your family, in your marriage, in your ministry, or in your friendships. This is my application thought this morning for unity of mind. Assess whether your attitude, actions, contribute to or detract from the unity of mind in this church, in your family, in your marriage, in your ministry, or in your friendships. Mark number two. Second mark of a healthy Christian community is what Peter calls sympathy. Again, we'll hit the Greek first. Sympathos. Two Greek words again. Son is the origin of the, the sum word there. With or close. Pathos. Suffering or feeling. Suffering or feeling. I love this word. It literally means having a fellow feeling. Sympathy means to suffer with somebody. To have a, a same feeling as somebody else. So this is not passive. Sympathy enters into others' concerns and their needs. Sympathy is different from pity, right? Pity sort of has sorrow, but it looks down from afar and has its sorrow. Sympathy comes alongside the sufferer and enters into the sufferer's pain. So sympathy is this active thing, conscious effort to feel somebody else's pain. Are we feeling each other's pain? Or is it just pity? We feel sorry for each other from afar. When you see a need, do you feel sorrow at a distance or do you enter into the suffering? We recently had a, a friend who lost their father in a car accident. And we truly felt sorry for this person. But pity feels sorrow from afar, right? Pity feels sorrow from a distance. Sympathy goes to the funeral and hugs the family. Sitting in that funeral parlor, hearing the groans of this family brought me and my wife pain. It brought tears to us. And so in a small way, we were entering into this family's pain. As hard as it was for us to be around that sort of sorrow, we were carrying this sorrow with that family. Do you enter into the suffering of the people of this church? Peter is calling us to this kind of intimacy at Hope Point. We need to be careful. When we keep each other suffering at a distance, we are not functioning like the church that Jesus Christ shed his blood for. He meant for us to carry each other's sorrows. Now, there will be different degrees of sympathy depending on the closeness of the relationship, but regardless of the degree, we must regularly practice sympathy, this entering into each other's pain. It could range from a, I'm praying for you text to why don't you come live with my family because I know you don't have anywhere to go. Maybe it's providing a meal or donating a car. In what way have you sympathized with the fellow sufferers in this room? As always, we have the ultimate example of one who sympathizes perfectly with those he loves. And that is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. This is Christianity. Because God didn't sit up there in heaven and say, Man, I feel bad for those guys, those people, how bad they're suffering. No. We had a Savior who would step into our weaknesses, right? This, this is different than every other religion out there. 
our God stepped into our suffering. You see, Christ entered your weaknesses. Christ feels your sorrow perfectly. Christ weeps with you. He carried our sorrow. And now what the prophet said? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. The sympathy Peter is calling us to is Christ-like sympathy that is proactively carrying each other's griefs and sorrows. This is the kind of church that will last for generations. This is the kind of church that will have an impact in their city and around the world when we sympathize with each other, entering into each other's pain, not having pity from afar. Here's my application questions. How are you entering into the needs and pains of others? How can you move from pity to sympathy? Again, don't think about outside. I want, I want to think about Hope Point and the people that are sitting around you right now. What needs, either of this church or of individuals in the church, do you need to enter into? Mark number three, brotherly love. The third mark of healthy Christian community is brotherly love. Again, it's a Greek word, Philadelphia. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's, it's drenched in this truth that we are a family in here. This is your family. This is your true spiritual family, and it's specifically Christian, right? It's not biological. This is more than a sense of camaraderie, like we have a common interest around the same football team or the same club. No, Philadelphia implies a knowledge of the spiritual realities surrounding the new birth. Like you get it. You get that something spiritual happened to you and now you're connected like a family with these people sitting around you in this room if they believe in Christ. Your second birth into the kingdom gave you a new, truer family, more so than your biological family. If we get that truth, if we really understand that truth, we will be a healthy community. In the opening of his letter, Peter told us a little bit about this. According to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The same hope that unites us is the same hope that we've been born into. All of us that believe in Christ. That means that you're sitting beside your brother right now. So turn to your neighbor right now and say, hey, bro. Go ahead. (laughs) Hey, bro. (laughs) It's true. Well, it might be your sister in Christ, but. (laughs) Do you really believe this? (laughs) Thank you. Do you really believe it? Or is it just some abstract sort of religious talk, right? I mean, we all say it, but do we really believe it? Is it true or does it just sound good? Remember, this is the attribute that was in the middle of that structure I showed you, right? This is the thing that holds everything else together, this family love for each other. And out of this family love comes all those other things, right? Paul said that, Uh, Love is the greatest of these things. You could say the same of this list. Love will cause you, family love will cause you to go to great lengths 
and preserving the family unit. We do this within our own families, right? There's nothing that's going to take our unity from us as families. Our ignorance to this fact, the reality that we are a family, will leave us wide open to the infiltration of pride, of competition, of selfishness, of jealousy. Family is the best metaphor for a relationship between believers. Think of the sacrifices that parents make in order to keep the family together, right? As, as uh, crazy as it gets in the family, as frustrated you get with your family, you know that family unity is the thing that you're after, and you'll do anything to keep it, and that's what we are. We're a family. Yes, we're going to disagree. Yes, we're going to get frustrated with each other, but we know the spiritual reality that we are a family, and we're going to stick this thing out. The brotherly love uh, for each other is actually evidence that you are born again, right? It's a spiritual reality, this whole new birth thing, right? And how do you know you're born again? Well, brotherly love. 1 John 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. This is how you know you're born again. This brotherly love, this intimate affection for your spiritual family is again coming out of the new birth. Like all of the other virtues in this list, it is not natural to have this kind of love for people that are not in your biological family. That's why I say it's, it's uniquely Christian. So what, is, what does brotherly love look like? It's more than talk. It's more than talk. Like Jesus, we show this love. He didn't simply sit up in heaven and keep telling us that he loved us. He showed us his love. Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' love of the brethren moved him to prove it. How have you proven your love to the ones in this room? Which leads me into my application for brotherly love. How have you shown love to those at Hope Point? Not just an abstract thought about love, of saying I love you, but how have you showed it? How can you move from a declaration of love to a demonstration of love? How can you move from a declaration of love to a demonstration of love? So you got unity of mind, you got sympathy, and your third mark, brotherly love. Fourth mark is a tender heart. A tender heart. Here's a Greek word I do not know how to pronounce. So, you, the, I know how to do that one, equals well. And then this one, spaghetti, maybe, uh, is bowels. So, I'm glad that the, that the translators did not do this literally and, and say tender bowels. That would have been awkward. Um, today we call this our heart, right? Like, hence the translation, tender heart. Like, this is the deep seat of emotion the Greek word is getting at right here. Like, what you truly feel. It's one of the strongest Greek words to convey compassion. It's that deep feeling in your gut over the needs of others. 
So where, where sympathy is sort of acting on, in a way that enters into someone else's pain, tenderheartedness is a little bit different. A tender heart or compassion has to do with feelings that truly reside deep in your heart, deep in your soul. And, and Peter's telling us, have this, don't just sort of show it and not really feel it, but have this feeling, tender heart, deep in your soul for those you are entering into pain with. This is the opposite of hypocrisy. See, hypocrisy acts tender but really feels malice towards somebody or maybe feels even selfishness but sort of acting tender. Peter is saying you have to have this tender feeling in your bowels. The tender heart manifests itself in the multitude of ways. We see it littered all over the Gospels when Jesus has compassion for the crowds and that compassion moves him to either feed them physically or feed them spiritually. And then you have the parable of the Good Samaritan that shows how compassion can move us across racial lines, racial barriers. And then the parable of the prodigal son teaches us how a tender heart has the power to forgive. In fact, there is an undeniable link between a tender heart and the heart of a believer and, and their ability to forgive. There is a biblical link between having this tender heart and, between, and forgiveness toward other believers. You know Paul's verse on this. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, same Greek word that I can't pronounce, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Be kind to one another. Feel deep in your bowels for each other, forgiving one another as you have been forgiven. Where in the world do you get the power to forgive somebody that continually hurts you? Where do you get the motiva motivation to forgive? You get it from a heart that has been tenderized by forgiveness. You have this heart if you're a believer. You have this tenderized heart because it's been tenderized by Christ. And so you have this crazy ability to forgive others. Has your heart been tenderized by the forgiving work of God in Christ? If you're a believer, you have this. Listen, forgiveness is absolutely necessary for a Christian community to thrive, for a Christian community to work properly. Look, we're all sinners in here. We're all weak and we're all prone to offend each other. Stick around long enough and somebody in this room is going to offend you. Might even be me. We need to have this tender heart of forgiveness. Otherwise, friendships aren't going to last. Ministries aren't going to last. Marriages aren't going to last. Small groups aren't going to last. And this church is not going to last. We need a tender heart deep in our bowels that is ready to forgive each other. It's a tenderness found deep in our soul put there by the forgiveness of Christ. How can we not forgive? Of all the things that we've done, things that people don't even know about, Christ knows about it and forgave you. How can we not forgive? 
those in this room. Application questions. A tender heart application. Who do you need to forgive and who do you need to ask forgiveness of? Simple questions, uh, hard to do. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to ask forgiveness of? Mark number five, a humble mind. Fifth mark of a healthy Christian community is a humble mind. It's perhaps the most elusive on the list, right? So as with the others, let's start with the Greek word. Two parts. First part, humble or lowly. Second part, we've seen this before, right? And the first quality, friend, is mind or thinking or understanding. Lowliness of mind, right? This is foreign to every other organization in the world. Like, they wouldn't tell you to do this. Like, think less of yourself and think about others more. But Peter here says this is essential for it to work in Christian community. Humility, its opposite is what? Pride? When left unchecked, pride will destroy community. In his book, uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, he devotes an entire chapter to pride. He calls it the great sin. And this is what he says about pride. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. We hate it when we see pride in everybody else, and we never see it in ourselves. But I promise you it's there. Lewis called humility the center of Christian morality. Charles Spurgeon said that humility is the crown jewel of the Christian profession. It's the key that unlocks true community. It's sort of the secret sauce of Christian community, this humility. Like this is what makes it all work. Pride is the chief cause of discord or strife within any Christian community, any community for that matter. It splits churches. It divides homes. It ruins marriages. It dismantles ministry and fractures friendship. If you have a fractured relationship, I can almost guarantee you that pride is the issue. If you have a friendship that's on the rocks, a marriage that's on the rocks, I'm pretty sure it's pride in there somewhere. Unfortunately, some sins bring people together and they sort of gather around the sin and they enjoy the sin together, but that's not so with pride. Pride always repels. Pride always means competition. Pride always means strife and enmity between each other. And not just enmity between man and man, but enmity between man and God. See, there's this interesting thing that Peter tells us about here. He says, clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. This is later on in the letter. All of you, same phrase, talking to the whole Christian community, clothe yourselves with humility, not just in a general sense, but toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We put on this, these, this humility like we put on our clothes in the morning. We cover ourselves with humility. This is the kind of humility that is necessary for Christian community to last. And Peter says, put it on like you put your clothes on. And then the interesting part to me is, why do we do that? Because God opposes the proud and gives grace 
to the humble. That means that pride toward your fellow man is opposition to God. So when, when pride gets in your relationship, it's not just something between you and that person. You're now in opposition to God. Pride is a scary thing, a dangerous thing. So Peter says, put it on like clothes. One thing I want to be clear about when you're talking about humility is that biblical Christ-like humility is deeper than the leveling of pride. And I think this is key for us at Hope Point to do. Like this is the thing that will really, I think, launch us into greater impact. So this is my little drawing here. So humility, you might look at a line like this, call that humility, and then you, you see a bump in your humility, and we call that pride, right? And so you say, well, to be humble, we just need to knock out this bump of pride. And that is humility, but biblical Christ-like humility is more than just the leveling of the pride, okay? It's more than that. Where do I get that from? Paul. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We already read this verse. Who, though he is in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Well, what did he do? He emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born of the likeness of man, didn't stop there, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So this is my definition of Christ-like humility based on this verse. Christ-like humility is seeking a lower position for the sake of others. Seeking a lower position for the sake of others. I think that this is true. More than leveling of the proud, although that's a good thing. But I think biblical Christ-like humility goes beyond that to seeking a lower position so that others will gain. Not seeking a lower position so that others will think much of you, but rather seeking of a lower position so that others gain, others improve. This is humility. This is what Christ did. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. Have this type of mind in your Christian community. Have this type of mind at Hope Point. This is the mind that will sustain Christian community for hundreds of years. This is the kind of mind that will keep marriages going. When both spouses in the marriage are trying to outdo one another and seeking a lower position for the sake of their spouse, this is what makes marriages thrive. Same with friendships. Same with small groups and ministries and families. If you follow in the footsteps of Christ, not only with the towel and basin, we see a lot of that, washing of the feet, but more so of taking up a cross for the sake of others. Christ is beckoning us to join him in lowliness of mind for the sake of others. So application questions. How can you seek a lower position for the sake of another? Where do you find yourself seeking the higher position? What are you doing in this church to seek a lower position for the sake of those around you? What are you doing in your 
home to seek a lower position for the sake of your spouse, for the sake of your kids? What are you doing in your marriage to seek a lower position? What are you doing in your ministries to seek a lower position? And what are you doing in your friendships to seek lower positions? This is what makes Christian community thrive. Christ lived out these attributes perfectly, praise God. We don't have to live this way in order to attain favor with God. Christ already attained favor for God, with God for us. These are the, simply the essential elements that make for fruitful, long-lasting co-laborer, co-laboring in the gospel. Without these qualities, our relationships will not endure and this church will not endure. So these attributes are not natural, right? Almost all of them, we talked about how they flow out of the new birth. We can exhibit these qualities, but because we're sinful, it's a struggle. Am I right? Like, this is tough work. So we need the Spirit's help to live among each other this way. So we must be praying in this direction. Let's be a church who prays that God will manifest these qualities in our body. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. We're going to end our service a little bit differently today. After I pray and have final two songs, I'm going to come back up here, and I'm going to let you know of a resource that we're going to hand out today that will help us all pray in this direction and apply these five things together as a church body. Let me pray. We'll do two songs, and then I'll come back up for a quick closeout. Let me pray. Father. We love you. Uh, it can be overwhelming to hear of all the things, even when there are just five of them, that, uh, that you are asking us to do. Uh, so, so, Father, we need the Spirit's help. Get us to our knees. Let us be praying in this direction as a church body. Not just under this, when we're under this roof, Father, but in our homes and families and our friendships in our uh, small groups and in our ministries. Uh, Father, I'm maybe the most guilty one up here where these qualities lay dormant for so long. And Father, I'm just not acting compassionate. I'm just not acting in sympathy and unity and brotherly love. Uh, so Father, start with me. Lord, do it in this church. God, our desire is to have a long, faithful impact for the sake of Christ. Lord, so give us unity of mind. Move us to sympathy. Stoke the fire of brotherly love in this room. Lord, make it true down to our deepest part of our souls with a tender heart. And Father, clothe us all in humility. Father, would you do that in each individual heart, in each individual marriage, and home, ministry, and friendship. We need your help, Father. We need your spirit to move, and we beg you for it. May you be glorified through the prayers that will be offered up this week. Would you be glorified by moving us to act in this way? Would you be glorified... Uh, through our simple offering of prayer and desire to do these things. God, we ask for that help, for do that in Hope Point. In Christ's name we pray, amen.